0: Interviewing people is kind of like a dance. It's not really a linear progression of asking a question that you've prepared ahead of time and then giving you an answer before you then pepper them with the next few questions. It's more like a dance. Sometimes they go to the left a little bit too far and you have to gently or not so gently lead them back to the right. There's all these intertwining motions and you can ask questions. You can tell stories and ask them to comment. You can be more clever or more segmented about what you do and when you do it. There are so many different moves, some subtle, some overt. Today, we're going to look at one of the most masterful interviewers on the planet who, while he's great at the craft, isn't someone that you would say is quote-unquote a great interviewer so much as a great conversationalist. And that's the sports columnist turned media entrepreneur, the CEO of TheRinger.com, Bill Simmons. Simmons has one of the most popular sports and pop culture podcasts on the planet. And today we learn a very subtle move that we should be aware of because it could break to the left or to the right and we just have to be aware of it. Sometimes I think we actually abuse this move too much as makers and marketers who host shows. This is a new episode of Clipped, our social distancing version of three clips. All right, so Welcome back to the show. As you may have heard in our little trailer setting up what we're doing now, we're no longer doing highly produced episodes, at least for now. Instead, to compress our production of the show and make sure we can still serve you, the listener, we wanted to do something called Clipped, where essentially in real time, I will listen to a podcast episode of one of my favorite shows or a favorite show that somebody submits or maybe even your show, if you're so inclined to submitting it to me. And during the course of listening to that show, I will pull out one specific moment that we can learn from. One tiny thing that they did that I think was masterful and should be celebrated, or maybe leads us down the wrong path, but is very common, and we should just be aware of it. Today's clip is actually a little bit of both. It's something you can do proactively to get something really good to happen, or if you're not aware you're doing it, it can actually break bad. But first, I just want to give you some facts of the show. If you're not familiar with Bill Simmons, he was a former ESPN columnist, probably their most popular, especially on the website. And when he left the company, he started TheRinger.com, which is my favorite sports and pop culture website. And by the way, they're now owned by Spotify. Simmons has long had a podcast, first at ESPN and now multiple through The Ringer. And actually, the show that helped him launch TheRinger.com before the website even existed, that show is called the Bill Simmons podcast. Now, don't get me started on podcasts that use the word podcast in the name. I'm not a huge fan of that. I mean, who could forget back in high school, that classic literature, The Great Gatsby Book, or that amazing film, Avatar Movie, or maybe that historical document, The Declaration of Independence, Parchment Paper. And I don't know about you, but during COVID-19, I've been revisiting one of my favorite TV shows, The Office TV Show. Look, it's fine that people use the word podcast in their podcast. I, I just think it's a little bit odd. But putting that aside, the Bill Simmons podcast doesn't just interview athletes. They bring on a lot of columnists and people from The ringer.com that talk about various topics. They'll bring on celebrities. I mean, I, I remember listening to Denzel Washington on the show. And the hallmark is really the conversational nature of the podcast. I mean, Simmons really does a great job getting you right into those warmer, more revealing moments that feel like you are sitting having a drink with somebody else while they banter. That's really hard to do. I think Howard Stern does that really well. It's just so impossible as a skill because you have to make somebody forget the microphone is there and that they're recording something to be published publicly. A lot of us, I think, take a little while to break down... The guest, or maybe breakdown is the wrong term, but to warm up that guest such that they start to speak off the cuff. This is particularly difficult if, like me, you host shows about the business world because so many people from the business world try to play it so safe. They don't want to say anything that wasn't pre approved by PR, or they just are so used to being on the circuit that they have their set sound bites. And speaking of sound bites, this episode from Bill Simmons Podcast is with a guest who could just have tons of sound bites. He's literally an announcer, Joe Buck, one of the most famous, accomplished announcers today. You can hear him doing things like the World Series or the Super Bowl. So, yeah, kind of a big deal. But I wanted to zoom in to one specific quote from this episode. Let me just tee this up. I was really enjoying this episode. I think just as a showrunner, if you host a show, it's worth listening to it. You can kind of bob and weave throughout them mentioning sports if you're not a sports fan as I am. But Joe Buck talks pretty freely about what it is to prepare different types of on-air experiences. It was amazing. And I kept paying attention to what Bill Simmons was doing in response to things that Joe Buck was saying. When did he ask a question? When did he follow up with a comment or a story from his own life? How did they get to the point where I just got lost in the conversation? And then I arrived at a very specific type of follow-up that Simmons, I think, uses quite often. I don't know if it's proactive. I don't know if he's sitting there thinking, I'm now deploying this technique, but it's certainly something he does quite a bit. And it's something that I hear a lot of us do pretty often, regardless of what kind of show you host, regardless of how new or how veteran you are at this craft. It's a very specific type of question. In other words, the construct, the way he comes at it. I hear it in a lot of shows, and I think I've done it a lot, and I know people listening, you probably do it a lot too, because it's a very natural way to ask something. Is that a good thing? Once we get to this question, we'll realize it could actually break the wrong way. In other words, it could prompt a response that we were not looking for, and it could actually lead to the guest not answering the actual question. So this could break in one of two different ways. Let me just give you some context about the clip so you know what you're about to hear. So the first voice you're gonna hear is Joe Buck answering a previous question that Simmons asked him. Then Simmons is gonna jump in. And there's gonna be a couple names you may or may not recognize that Simmons mentions. But basically, all three of them are former NFL quarterbacks who are either announcers, in other words, they're announcing games on TV, or considered candidates that they might be a good announcer someday, if they so choose. So those names are as follows. First, Simmons will mention a guy named Troy. That's the current partner of Joe Buck, his guest, in the booth when they announce NFL games. Troy Aikman, former Cowboys quarterback. The next name, which is not that important, is Peyton Manning, another former quarterback who some people think would be a good announcer if he decided to go down that path. Okay, the next name is going to be the important one. And that's Tony Romo. He's yet another former Cowboys quarterback, and he is a current announcer that a lot of people thought started out really strong, having zero announcer experience. So remember that name. Tony Romo, or Romo as Simmons just calls him, he is someone that is widely regarded as a really great newcomer to the field of sports announcing. The fact that Simmons brings up Romo and talks about him not once, but I think twice, is really key to why I wanted to play this clip. So when he talks about Romo, really pay attention. All right, without further ado, here's the clip. Remember, the first voice is Joe Buck answering the previous question, then Simmons jumps in, then we go back to Buck. Here's the clip. I, I, um, yeah, that's, that's the part I never understood, but I, I don't know that that'll change going forward. Can we talk about, you You must have a, at least a pretty good feel as a scout for who would be good, just because you're thinking of it from the aspect of, all right, if Troy got hit by a bus tomorrow, who would I want to do football games with? And you're looking at you know, the current guys. Like Peyton Manning always gets thrown around as somebody who would be an awesome color guy. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how candid he would be. I really was convinced Romo was going to be good only because I had spent a little time with him and the way his brain worked and his sense of humor and stuff, it was just yeah. clear he was meant to do this. Are there guys playing now that you feel could potentially be Collinsworth, Troy, Romo-y when they retire? Yeah, that's a good question, and I agree with you on the two guys you just said. I think the best thing Tony Romo did was he got into this business almost like he'd never watched a football game on television in his life. Like he didn't try to sound like somebody else. He just went with his gut, and I, I he's he's obviously been handsomely rewarded for going with that gut. But but good for him, and and he's changed the way I think people you know look at some of these analysts. All right, let's get, let's come back from the clip. So the thing I wanted to call out about this particular clip is that Simmons as an interviewer anchors the guest to an example of what his question meant, an example of what he was striving for. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. But if you notice because he said, you know, Joe Buck as an announcer who's done it for this long, you probably have a good sense for color commentators other people who are coming out of the NFL and might become good football announcers. You probably have a sense of that. Like, here's an example, and he talks about Tony Romo among other people. That causes Joe Buck to then respond by talking about Tony Romo. I call this leading the witness. It is a subtle dance move as part of the larger dance of your overall interview with somebody. But it's when you use an example as the kind of answer that someone could give you When you finish the question, whether or not you want them to talk about that example, your example, that's another story. But that's the entirety of why I wanted to pick out this clip today. Leading the witness can be great. It can also backfire. So one example of ways it can be great is what I call putting somebody in a box. So here's an example of putting somebody in a box. Say, for instance, you're interviewing an executive who keeps giving generalities, but you want story. You want specifics. You want details and examples. You might start by asking a question. So how did you first acquire your first 100 customers? And the executive goes to the 30,000-foot view. Well, I think in general, when you're early, ah, I've lost them. They're going to give me some mundane platitude, some PR-approved, whitewashed version of the truth, but I want the actual truth. I want the details. I want the goods so I could follow up by asking for an example. Even still, that executive might wriggle out of that. So now I can put them in a box, which is essentially me leading the witness. I might build the walls of the box by adding several details. So let me get this straight, Sally. When you first started the business, you had no money. You hadn't raised any money, any capital from investors yet. You had a prototypical product, a very small team Obviously not much time, you thought Instagram could be the first and best way to start sourcing early customers, so you open up an Instagram account, and then what happened? I've built the walls of the box and left one wall open, and if you want to get out of the box, you gotta go my direction. I'm basically saying, here's all the examples of what went down, anchor to that, I'm leading the witness in the direction I want you to go. Alright, so that's a good example of leading the witness, I think. But one way it could backfire is when you ask a question and then you end it by saying, you know, for example, this. And then, instead of coming up with their own example, which is what you wanted them to do, the guest merely sticks with yours. So, for instance, you might say, what changes when you hit a tough time as a CEO? Like, I always struggle as a leader myself with how to message tough decisions you know, I think that the tough decisions are easier to spot and even make privately, but then it's really about how do you initiate them and communicate them to your team. So, what changes when you hit a tough time as a leader? That CEO might respond by saying, "Yeah, you know, it's really that. It's how you message that change because in tough times." You know, people are sensitive and they want to make sure they get the the right message said the right way. They're going to have a lot of questions. So whether it's over an email or in person in a meeting, as the CEO, you're just, you're looking at the situation, you're watching it unfold, you have a sense for the tough times that are coming, then the real challenge is how you communicate that. I got a lot of words there, but I got nothing of substance. You know, it's like they, they said a lot, but they said nothing at all. So leading the witness can be good. If they're struggling to come up with examples and specifics, if you want them to latch on to what you said and go in that direction, but it can also derail the conversation because they might latch on to what you said or go in that direction alone when you really wanted them to think critically and come up with a better example. So this technique, this subtle dance move of leading the witness, it's really about your intent as the dance partner. And so often we don't realize what that little dance move even does. It's a reflexive way of asking a question, because it's often how we speak offline, when there's no microphone. All right, let's go back to Bill Simmons, because Simmons recognizes what he's doing. In this clip, Joe Buck actually went deeper. He didn't just regurgitate Simmons' example with a bunch of words. He didn't just give him a word salad. He did latch on to the same example of why former quarterback Tony Romo is so great as an announcer. But then he went deeper. Well, why is he great, actually? Well, he approached the job as if he'd never watched football on TV before. He didn't just try to emulate somebody he admired as a broadcaster. He did it his own way. Huh, that's an interesting insight from Joe Buck. But most times, your guest isn't Joe Buck. They're not a wildly accomplished broadcaster. They're not used to having a microphone in front of them. They're not used to performing. So as a result most guests just give you a rehashed version of the same damn example you used this then puts you in a really awkward place do you follow up and ask the real question is there time for that do you restate the same question will they get frustrated as a result or are you forced to stay on the same example because you led with it and ask for some kind of deeper insight so do you follow up and restate the real question do you try to go deeper into the same little example that you're both latching onto? Or do you just move on it all speaks to the real issue here we're leading the guest without knowing where so just to recap interviewing is a dance not a straightforward march every little dance move has its own steps to know about its own result its own reaction from your dance partner each move then sets up the next which sets up the next and so on it's all connected in nonlinear fashion but it all makes one coherent dance so Just be aware that when you bust out this little move, when you use an example within your question to illustrate the type of answer you're looking for, just be aware their next step in the dance could continue in that same direction. Is that what you want? If so, that's great. Add an example as part of your question and be okay with them talking about that or not. If you don't want that same example, then just ask the question. Only offer an example if you notice they're struggling to find their own, or if they give an answer that reveals that they didn't actually understand your question. Oh, actually, what I meant was like this, you know, for example, like that. So do you have another example you might share? Great interviews have dozens, if not hundreds of little moves, all rolled into what you say, when you say it, and how it's delivered. This might be one little tiny move, one small piece that we're talking about right now. But as we always say on this show, creativity isn't something big. It's the sum total of lots of little pieces, lots of little choices, all strung together. Or, I guess, lots of little dance moves. And it all contributes to one performance. As hosts and as showrunners, it's on us to ensure it's the performance that we wanted. Thanks for listening. Just a heads up, this show supports our main focus as a company, as marketing showrunners. Our main focus is a journey to answer one crucial question. What does it take to create your audience's favorite podcast? The thing is, I don't know. We have some ideas. And so every Friday morning, I send out one new video and one new big idea. Heuristics, examples, frameworks, things we can use to rethink and reimagine our shows to make them someone's favorite. This is my attempt to build out a system in public that we can all use. And eventually we're going to offer online, interactive cohort based workshops to our subscribers where we can do real work on our real shows together using the system we've built. So what does it take to make their favorite show? Join our journey to find out. Subscribe at marketingshowrunners.com or click the link in the show notes. Special thank you to Casted for their continual support of this show. Casted makes software for marketers who make shows. They believe in putting authentic conversations at the heart of everything we do in marketing. And so they want to put the podcast at the center of your content strategy. But to do that, you need tools tailored to marketers. So explore more at casted.us to support our show and our partners. That's casted.us. I'm Jay Conzo and I believe... Rate marketing is not about who arrives, it's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me and I'll talk to you on the next episode of the show. See ya. This week's recommended read, on the Marketing Showrunners blog. It's a mega post, part one of three mega posts in a series called the Experience Spectrum. Here's the deal. So to make someone's favorite podcast, we have to explore three really complicated questions, try to simplify the answers, and use it to execute better. Those questions are, number one, how do others experience our show? Number two, how do we personally influence that experience? And number three, how does one combine with two to make someone's favorite show? In other words, how do those two things combine to affect how people feel about us and our podcasts? So those three questions are on display in three straight mega posts. But don't worry, I'm making them weird and wonderful, I think, with things like Bob the Magic Wand, our guide through this program, a new friend in week two, the Pike, and his neighbors, the Minnows, the Podvengers, and a lot more quirky weirdness. So I hope you'll enjoy this, but the whole goal is to build out distinct tools that we can use as part of a system. The first tool is the experience spectrum. Check your show notes for a link or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.